Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from New Jersey, and I'm so happy to be with you guys again this week, and I want to thank you for spending the next, uh, whatever, as I say, in theory, an hour, but most likely probably a little bit longer because I am a motor mouth. So, uh, God willing, everything is going well for you in your life and on your operation, and I had a... uh, a very very interesting week so i made my well it was a, it was a, it was a good interesting i guess uh so i'd like to share that with you so i made some notes here so i don't uh forget anything some line item notes but i did uh when last week's show dropped i was out at the pti farm in pontiac illinois and that is on uh pre- the precision planting test farm or research farm you want to call it pontiac illinois and uh i'll tell you a little bit about that and then i'll tell you about the the journey there and i went there for the main impetus is i was invited by fent they were having arthur santos who is the uh i don't know what his title is of it uh i guess brand manager or he represents the fent momentum planter and i love that plant that planter is gorgeous but anyway a lot of, I mean, the, that planter was a clean shade, sheet of paper engineering. And Arthur was giving a planter clinic there. And uh, I went out to that. And then also at the PTI farm, which I think is called Precision Technologies, or because um, it's, uh, I think it's called Precision Technologies Institute or something, whatever. Everything, as I say, is an acronym today. You can't remember what the acronym is when you get done. But anyway. Uh, they have a 400-acre test farm there, and I have to honestly say that it was the best field day I ever attended. So the the uh, it was a two well it was the same event that had it went on for two days. So it was Wednesday and Thursday. I was originally going to stay for both days, but then I needed to get home to get things done here, so I only stayed for the one day. It's, it was a repetition of the same class and the same event both days. But, you know, if you go to something like that and you end up listening to it again or seeing it again, then, uh, because it's impromptu, it's not a it's not a film that you're watching, is that different topics come up, different, different, different uh, uh, things are represented in a different way. Right, it's the same content, but represented differently. So I always found it has great value if you could go two days in a row, but I could not make that happen. And the way with the event was set up was the morning, my group was broken down into uh, four different groups. And the morning uh, was in with Arthur about the uh, Momentum Planter. And then we had lunch. And then we went, uh, oh, then there was a... a, a in in field that's the most important part that you went actually out into the field you planted they have it they call it the sandbox there where you could so even though it's july you're planting corn you have the fence tractor hooked up to the momentum planter you drive the tractor you go through the plant you go um, you go through the field with it there was also a um, a talk on the uh, furrow creation so we they what they did is that they ran the they ran one of the planters i think they had three of them there uh without the closing wheels on it so you would go and then you would uh make the furrow but never close it and then they had an educational event on checking the furrow so it was just excellent excellent 
uh, and then uh, after that you went and you actually ran the tractor and planted, showed you a lot of stuff on that, and then we had lunch, and then we went out into the field and looked at the crops, and on the 400-acre farm, research farm, and also they had other things there going on. They had some, because Agaco owns GSI grain bins, so they had a, a grain bin seminar for about 15, 20 minutes. It, it was excellent. It was excellent. So the take-home message here to all of you is that if you ever have the opportunity, it's Pontiac, Illinois, the PTI test farm. It's right off of inter, right on Interstate 55. Very, very, very easy to get to. There's a gorgeous, beautiful Hampton Inn, literally right next to the farm. I walked. I left my car and I walked. Uh, it's a very nice area, and that and the events that they have going on, they have a whole series of different events. It may not be the plant the clinic. They may have something else going on, but talk to your Agco rep at your Agco dealer and ask them about that. And you could also, excuse me, call up the PTI farm. So you say, I don't have any agco deal. I don't have a piece of ag. It makes no difference, okay? Makes no difference. This is an education, uh, education event because precision planting is owned by agco, but that doesn't make any difference because precision planting does business. Uh, you could get precision planting seed meters and downforce and speed tubes and everything on a John Deere planter, on a case planter, on a Kinsey planter. So this is, you know, it's not brand specific. So I strongly suggest that if you have the opportunity and you're going to be in that area or not that far from that area, that you go and uh, give them a shout and is definitely well worth your time because I have to, as I said before, I think it's the best field day. Not I think, I know it's the best field day I ever went to. And I've gone to some pretty good field days, and I've gone out to the Ag PhD field day, which is an excellent field day out there in South Dakota. No disrespect, but to me, it's a little bit too carnival-like atmosphere, state fair type atmosphere. And because the PTI test farm has no skin in the game with any products, with anything, you're getting a different perspective on things. So I'm not saying that other field days are jaded or tried to steer you in one direction, but it's, it's, it's excellent. So it's excellent. So I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend that. Okay. And then, uh, I had a, I was blessed with a beautiful ride going out. Uh, the weather was beautiful and I made it into, I, I made it like a little bit more than a day and a half. I stayed, I stayed in, uh, uh, Tiffin, Ohio, at the Hampton Inn, which I've stayed there for more than 20 years. I mean, since they built that hotel. I remember I used to go to Lima all the time, to the University of Northwest Ohio in Lima, and I used to go that way, and I used to see them building that hotel, and I've stayed there, my wife and I have stayed there for many, many years, and um, so what I do is I take 80 across Pennsylvania, Interstate 80, which I love, which I'm going to discuss a little bit uh, in a minute or two, and then I go through uh, through Akron on 76, and I pick up 224 over by Barberton, and then I ride 224 all the way across Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. Then then I pick up 24 in Western Indiana, and I run I ran 24 right into Route 66. Well, I was going to take Route 55, but the entrance ramp was Interstate 55 to get to the PTI farm because it's only like 10 miles north of Route uh, of, of Route 24. 
but they had the entrance ramp closed, so they were doing construction. So they put us, well, they put everybody the minimal amount of cars that were there. They put us on uh, the old Route 66, so it was nice. I was able to drive about 10 miles on the old Route 66. And Pontiac, from what I've seen of it, I was on the outskirts, is not a lot. I thought it was a larger city, larger town. It's, I think they claim it they have about 12,000 people, but one of the guys told me, well, there's a state prison there, and there's about 1,000 to 2,000 in the state prison that counts with that number. So it's really not much bigger than Hackettstown as far as population is concerned, or even so, but it's more spread out, so it gives the it gives the impression that it's that it's bigger than it really is but it's uh i guess it's a big small town right so uh but i did not go downtown pontiac i did not get the chance and uh, where i was on the outskirts of pontiac which really doesn't mean much because there's not that much there i'm saying that respectfully i'm not saying it derogatorily so it's not a, it doesn't take long to get to the outskirts if the town itself is not large but uh I was pleasantly surprised because you know I'm always saying well, I'm not saying negative things, but just saying how things change. But I've taken two, I've taken two twenty-four and twenty-four many, many, many times over the years, but I haven't been that far on two twenty-four and then into twenty-four for about five or six years now, which is uh, frightening how time flies by. I've taken two twenty-four over through up into findley ohio like when i went with the uh to the national farm machinery show and someplace else i went and i jumped on uh 75 there but that on this trip i was going my old route so i was very interested to see what happened or what's going on west of findley ohio of course i haven't been there for a number of years and so many times and you've heard me lament over this and uh and then i want to go back on my my high horse with that but i think i, I get the window open here the birds talking to one another but anyway uh is that you know you go someplace and you go oh my god or to me i'm going oh my god how did this change oh look at all the houses they put here look at the shopping center they put here look at this look at that and I, you know as a christian i know the world changes and we have to and whatever i won't quote you so you know my if you listen to any of my shows you know my lamentations on that how i how I uh, that I don't like the destruction of I like the destruction of of land just for for uh, profiteering because lots of times that's all it's been anyway I have a very so it's very I had giddy guarded anticipation of going past uh, Finley on 224 heading out to Indiana to 24 so I didn't know what I was going to find but what I can tell you from Barberton area or Lodi, which is where I got on, got on 224, which I've had to Finley. It's, as I said, I've done that a number of times uh, the past couple of years, but I haven't gone past there for a few years now, is that it has not changed. All right, I mean, there may be a little bit of a something change. Somebody built a house or two houses. There's no housing developments. Uh, Findlay is always growing a little bit, but it seems that, on, at least on that section, that the, the same growth that was there six or seven years is still there. Uh, some of the businesses changed changed hands where something was uh, whatever. Now it's a car dealer or it was a car dealer. Now it's something else. But for the most part, it has not changed in West of Findlay on 224 all the way up into Indiana where I would pick up 24 
is that also that has not changed in the past five or six years. Has it changed over the past 25 or 30 years? Yes, obviously it has. But the five or six years has not changed. So I was very, very happy and uh, pleasantly surprised and very happy that I didn't see a lot of construction growth, a lot of the farms. Very, 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 very nice. Very happy about that. Uh, The crops from... Pennsylvania to Finley, the east of Finley looked absolutely gorgeous. Oh my God, beautiful! I mean, that's from, you know from the windshield, right, from sixty miles an hour. But very, everything looks very just. Just they had good rains and good weather, I guess, and it was very, very nice, uh, very beautiful. And west of Finley, I'd say maybe thirty or forty miles, fifty miles from Finley, the west side of Finley, going west about fifty miles. Uh, the crops looked good. They looked okay. Uh, it seemed that either some guys, which is typical, caught showers or it was different planting dates. Uh, it did not, I mean, east of Finley, all the way back to Pennsylvania, I didn't see one field that did not look gorgeous. All right. Going west there, I did, like I said, there was some marginal, it wasn't uh, terrible. It will still yield, God willing. I mean, it wasn't like that. It wasn't a basket case, but it didn't have the vibrancy that it was on the other side of Finley going east. And then as I got closer into Indiana, then it started to, the crop started to look much nicer again. Uh, and then when I got into Illinois, uh, it was about the same thing. And then when I got to buy the test farm, everything looked in Illinois and Pontiac, Illinois, everything looked beautiful. So... But I did, uh, there's a gas station on, uh, just outside of Decatur, Indiana on 224. It's a uh, small little uh, marathon. I've stopped there for many years. I've often, I should say I've often stopped there over the years. It's not a dedicated stop, but if I need fuel, and I know that that's there, and I stopped there. But interestingly enough, they had a pump off to the side, so not in the main, the main uh, island of pumps. And it said on it, Rec 90. I said, Rec 90, REC 90, and it was $4.99 a gallon. So I went over to look at it, and had, uh, it said, so on the pump it said ethanol free, and they called it Rec 90. Now, I do not know if it's a marathon product. Marathon oil, which is very big there in Finley, they have storage tanks. I think they may actually have a refinery, but I've never physically seen it excuse me uh but it didn't it wasn't marked on the pump it just said rec 90 had a decal made up rec 90 it didn't say rec 90 by marathon and they had a picture of a boat they had a picture of like a uh a quad and a a lawnmower on there what have you so uh i figured that rec stood for recreation all right what, what else would it mean and then the lady behind the counter when i went to pay because i always pay cash is that uh, she uh, was very, very nice, but uh, but was not knowledgeable about the product. And uh, so I don't know if they're getting it from someplace else or what have you. And I don't know if it's a privately owned marathon station or not. But uh, it was quite interesting because I've seen places that sell ethanol-free gasoline, but they never identified it to just say ethanol-free and would be in the main body of pumps, not off to the side. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <coughs> Very interesting, interesting about that Rec 90, but it was quite costly. It was 490, and I'm assuming 
it meant that it was 90 octane, but there wasn't much information there whatsoever. Uh, what I did sadly run into on this journey as I took all I took all uh, secondary roads out and then I ended up taking interstate 55 to interstate 80 to come home which was a I guess it was a mistake I, I, I came that way I came home that way because it's just about a 900 mile ride maybe a little bit more there was a little bit more than 900 going there and maybe a little bit less because I took the interstate coming home. But I didn't want to get home. There was the time zone change. So I knew as soon as I got, you know, an hour within getting into the car from the left the hotel, I'd be back in East Coast time. So I had to make all my decisions based upon Eastern Standard Time, not Central Time. And I wanted to try not to get home at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, all right? And then uh, also I did, I'm going this week for my cataract surgery, god willing so um i didn't want to be driving the two-lane roads eh, i don't want to say at night at early morning when it was still dark with and with oncoming headlights because my cataract is sensitive to that so i figured if i was going to be on the interstate i would be fine so so i made the decision to take 55 which i from 55 from pontiac up to maybe 20 miles maybe not 10 miles south of of uh, of uh, Joliet, Illinois, at five four o'clock in the morning is beautiful. I mean, beautiful like the old days. Like you turn the clock back. I mean, I mean, just beautiful flat farmland there. You could see oh, just gorgeous and empty road, just a lonely truck ride. Very very nice. But anyway, but going out as I said, I took eighty across Pennsylvania, which I always do, which I do love eighty across Pennsylvania. But collectively on this trip we'll say it was 2,000 miles just shy of 2,000 miles all right I saw four horrific and I'm not exaggerating when I say horrific accidents on Route 80 and they were all on 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 I-80 so going out on uh, the first day I was about 20 miles shy of the Ohio line in Pennsylvania and this was on the eastbound side, thankfully for me, not for the other people going uh, going east. I was going west, and I'm riding, and you know, and I'm saying to myself, "Geez, boy, you know," uh, and I see three police cars and I'm going on the eastbound side west. And, I'm, and you know, when you see something first, you got to process it, right? And I says, "Well, why did they put a?" Yeah, and what's nice about Interstate 80 through Pennsylvania, I've said this before, is that in, for the most part of it, the eastbound and westbound lanes are very far apart, and there's a and, and there's a, it's not like a grass median in some areas. There's a valley with trees. It's beautiful, so you don't, so you only see your one. And that's what I love about it. But anyway, so this section is that that it, I mean they were not they're not close together, but maybe you could see them. I said, well, boy, what they do put a service road there. And the guys are going on the service road. Boy, they go. They must have a call. I mean, they they weren't. They had the lights on, but they didn't have sirens on because uh, I put down my window to here. And they said, "Oh, no. I said, geez, what? They put a service road there." And I'm saying, so "That's not the service road." I said, "That's the eastbound lanes closed." Well, anyway, when I finally got to it, going west, I Interstate 80 was shut down. I mean shut down i think there must have been a 10 to 12 mile back back up but sadly 
forgetting about that aspect of it is that I don't know what happened. Uh, there was a, a Ram pickup truck. Look, like he had a. Hopefully, God willing, it was empty. Look, like he had a cattle, fifth wheel cattle trailer on it, and he was off to the side. And his his passenger driver's side front fender was dented pretty nicely, but it, it wasn't look like it was on dry. It wasn't like going to stop the road for it. But anyway, then I look. And there's what appeared to be a smaller SUV. I don't know if it was a Ford Escape, whether it was a Honda, Nissan, whatever, a Chevy Equinox. I could not could not tell what it was. But this car, this I, I was I forgot how I was able to glean that it was a smaller SUV. Was actually you know like you would take a piece of paper and you'd crunch it up and make it into a ball and throw it for the for your cats or dogs, something to play with, or you crunch something up and you put it in the garbage. This SUV was in a ball. This uh, it was. Lit, I I don't know how that happened. I've seen sadly seen vehicles. You'll get T-boned, get run over by tractor trailers, go underneath tractor. This was actually in a ball. So it was like you put put it in in in, in a mold and squeezed it into a ball. Uh, it was unbelievable. There was no way that those souls could have lived through that whoever was in that that vehicle i mean terrible i mean uh, it was it was it was horrific when i saw that then subsequently the uh coming back going home that's why i said it was a good bad decision to take 80 early in the morning right so i'm now i'm on 80 east off of 55 55 was gorgeous 80 east and uh uh well, east of Joliet, which is a Chicago sub suburb, I'm still in Illinois, though I'm not in Indiana by Gary yet, right? It's well, I'm going to say actually it was probably six thirty in the morning my time, which was five thirty their time. Of course, it was still new, so whatever, it's moot, right? And the, the roads there are so busy. I mean, just just as bad or worse than New Jersey. But anyway, but the traffic comes to a halt, so two hours and 35 minutes sitting there maybe crawling up five feet every couple of minutes sitting there another horrific accident i was involved with a tractor trailer the road was closed by the time i got there the tractor trailer was off to the side so the the traffic did not start to move till 10 minutes to nine terrible terrible and then uh then I'm now I'm on 80 heading east and I'm in uh I'm 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 out of Indiana I'm in Ohio traffic comes to and this was beautiful weather I mean it wasn't like it was raining or foggy or I mean this was you know, beautiful weather which I'm going to discuss because that's part of what my show is about today I'm sorry this chair is creaking but Ginger is sleeping on the other one and uh next to you not Ginger Molly but um <coughs> Traffic comes to a halt again. Thank God it was only for 35 minutes. But left lane, uh, a Honda Pilot, not Pilot, excuse me, Honda, uh, what they called it? Uh, I forgot what the little one they called, uh, not Escape, I forgot what, the heck they, what they called the little uh, Element, Honda Element, which I stopped making a couple of years ago. Honda Element, a Chevy Impala, front wheel drive Impala, and another Ram truck again can't glean what had happened 
I don't know whether the element ran into the, I, I don't know. The ram was, 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 was wrecked, but I would say in the back, but I would say still drivable. It was a three heavy duty ram. Uh, it wasn't the 1500, so it was a HD ram. The Impala looked like it had some damage. I couldn't really tell. I don't know if they would, by the time I got there, like I said, I don't know whether another car was towed away, but this Honda element looks like it plowed. <laughs> I would have to say it looks like it plowed into the back of a tractor trailer. I mean, but the tractor trailer was the semi. It, I don't know what happened, but the front, the the engine and transmission were out of it, laying there. All right, the front was all crushed up, and every airbag that it had deployed. Because as I rode by, I could see in the back windows that through the back windows of that the airbags, the curtain airbags. Were. So I have no idea what happened there, and then. That's the third one. And then the fourth one, uh, just outside of uh, Youngstown, Ohio, there's the uh, Meander Reservoir, which I used to love the old road going across the old, wonderful, about four, six, ten years ago, they built a new uh, whatever. But anyway, but thankfully for me, again, the eastbound, I mean, the westbound side, another horrific accident and uh traffic backed up i clocked it for i mean when i say backed up not moving for four miles never in my life did i go on a road trip and see four horrific accidents and and the thing is that the people just it's like a demolition derby out there and the people just go so i'm going to use the word damn fast all right i don't know if they're texting on their phones and they're not paying attention or what's going on i mean i've gone cross country and not seen anything anything like this in years and the, and the thing that happens now from my perspective is that when the people crash it is ugly it is terrible it is horrific I mean, because they're going so fast. I mean, years ago, we asked with their accents on the highway, you'd see that there was an accident. And, and I'm not going to say no one got killed, and I'm going to say no that I'm not going to say they weren't bad. But there's there's no marginal accidents on the interstates anymore. They're they're they're, they're if, sadly they're body bag accidents, and the people go so darn fast. I mean, they're going ninety. You go seventy five, seventy eight miles an hour, they blow by you. And, you know, I've said this before, coming back from getting my fertilizer and other trips, but they really have to try to get the society under control because this is, is terrible. I mean, terrible, terrible accidents. And, uh, and uh, anybody who, I mean, I don't, I don't text or something and I don't use the cell phone. I have it on Bluetooth. But to tell you the truth, I think I'm not even going to have it on Bluetooth anymore because uh, I think I'm just going to shut it off and uh tell my wife you know if she needs me i'll stop in two hours you call me and, and i'll and leave me a message because i have found personally that if i'm talking on the phone even though it's hand-free through the ford sync system i am distracted just differently than if someone were in the car someone was in the car talking to you so it is not the same even though it's hand hands free there's some element of it at least to me there's some element of it that is more distracting because if you're talking to someone in the car as a passenger and you see the brake lights come on they recognize it in the brain everybody stops talking it's a different dynamic so that basically is that i did see what i think is the new ram um competitor to the ford maverick pre-production version in illinois on i-55 at night and uh when well, i early in the morning so it went by me i was 
it was still, I mean, it was dawn, it was not dark, but it, it came up on me fast, and you know, with the headlights, you can't really tell, and then we went by, we said, what the heck is that, so it, from the back, it looked pretty nice, and uh, <clears throat> I also want to give a big shout out to John up in British Columbia, because while I was away, he lives in a gorgeous, gorgeous area, which I know a lot of you do, and he sent me some beautiful pictures, he was cutting silage and uh that area is some of god's finest handiwork and um he's a proud canadian and he's proud and loves his country which he shouldn't i i I applaud that and they have a canadian flag waving on the forage harvester and but they they, he just he sent me this one well he sent me a number of pictures but this one picture was just they were all gorgeous but this one picture just really took my breath away so uh i want to thank you john for sending those and i want you to sincerely know that those areas uh just tugging my heartstrings to no end uh to see that that majesty and that's truly is the word majesty out west in montana wyoming to me the the great plains out in north dakota are majestic but uh, beautiful pictures so i want to thank you for that john i really really enjoyed those and then i want to give a big shout out to uh to Mike Warner again I think I shout out to him last week but he his friend I believe owns uh I think it's called Caledonia Mike is up in Caledonia uh Minnesota and he said you know when when we were doing the the podcast he said to me if I uh, because he knows I travel a lot though I know Caledonia carriers they're a a bulk carrier liquid bulk carrier trucking company because I believe his friend owns it and uh so I said, geez, I don't really remember seeing that. Well, Mike, I did see, I mean, now that I saw the trucks, I have seen them, all right? I don't see them every day, but I have seen them. And then I was heading east, coming home, and I was just, I was heading east, just west of Elkhart, Indiana, on I-80. And lo and behold, what came up on me is a Caledonia, I think it's called Caledonia Carriers, um, tanker, beautiful, beautiful rig then he was uh, driving very nicely he did walk me right so he you know, he had the he had the wick turned up a little bit on a bad boy but there was uh, but he was doing it very very safely so uh that is that and the uh the fiesta ran beautifully but i think it's time eh, for me to change the oxygen sensor and i usually change the oxygen oxygen the primary oxygen sensor on my vehicles around I would say between 225,000 and 250,000. No check engine lights, no anything. My cars don't have, I mean, I'm sounding cocky here. I don't get check engine lights, okay? Service engine soon lights. But I know over, I know from my background that over time a sensor will degrade and it will skew. And when the sensor starts to, oxygen sensor starts to skew, its output voltage is no longer in sync to 14.7 to 1 to stoichiometric mixture so when oxygen sensor starts to i'm going to use the word wear it doesn't physically wear in a sense that it moves but it just it, it it starts to get old it'll skew and lower the output voltage so basically <clears throat> in essence the engine controller will interpret that as a leaner mixture and add some fuel and uh 
and if you and I've done a podcast on this before. If you look at the uh, on older, like on older GM stuff, was called block learn multiplier and integrator, and then with OBD two, everybody used the term common language fuel trim. So if you got a Toyota, or if you have a Ford, if you got a Chevy, you got a a Ram, it's going to be under fuel trim long term and short term fuel trim, which was basically patterned off of the General Motors system, which had this 40 years ago, they were ahead of the curve on everybody, and they had block learn multiplier and integrator, and integrator back then was the short-term uh, fuel correction, and the block learn was the long-term. So what I usually, what I like to do is I like to look at those on, on 96 or newer, which is old now, right, OBD2, uh, you'd look at the fuel trim with a scanner, and uh, so... But I know that you get around 220, 230,000 miles, 250,000 miles, 260. All right, then you know, it's time to renew that sensor, put a new sensor. So I'm at 232 now, and I didn't, I didn't look at my fuel trim for quite some time, but I do check every tank full of gas. So, and on this trip, I didn't do that well on gas. All right, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but in a different context. It's going to be a topic of the show. The car ran beautifully, beautifully, right? And uh, it always does, and it never ceases to amaze me because when you take I-80 across Pennsylvania, you have those long grades that you got to pull. Now, to somebody like like John living up in British Columbia or Montana or Colorado or Wyoming or Utah, I mean, this is this is not it's not the grapevine coming out of L.A. Or that long hill coming out of uh, going into Salt Lake City, or that grade even if you're down south, right? There's that lo- there's that long grade on I-77 coming uh, coming north. Uh, you're pulling that grade just from Virginia, from North Carolina to Virginia. It's nowhere near like that. But I-80 through Pennsylvania has some pretty long long grades. I mean, there I don't know what percent they are, but there I mean you'll you'll see a, a heavily loaded semi you know lose speed on there especially years ago not so much now because they all got 600 horsepower but uh but anyway <clears throat> there's some real long grades there and uh it's a, a different type different type of uh testing going up the rocky mountains but anyway but what amazed what always amazed me is is that and it never ceases to amaze me is that this little car has got a six-speed dual clutch transmission all right it's only got a 96 cubic inch engine so it's like 1.6 liters and this thing just just you know flattens those hills never once has it downshifted from six to five to fifth and and it's and it's pulling those hills at whatever speed you want me if i want to go 90 miles legal speeds we'll say that all right legal speeds and it just flattens those hills and i could just and i just just am amazed at how great it pulls them and i know that i'm thinking i know in my mind i could just see the cam phases changing because it has dual overhead i mean it has sync you know has a double overhead cam it's a four cylinder so it has it and it, you know the int it's got a variable runner intake manifold and uh variable cam timing and that's really what all these engines are about today because they move the cam face you're going you're pulling that hill and and you don't feel that happen it happens so it's, it's just it's always there it's, it changes the intake manifold runner length and is always maximizing torque and the way that little car just does that with the air conditioner on right and it was hot and muggy and that's what i'm leading up into this to, to this show today 
but I did not do as well on fuel as I thought I, or I as I know through data that I should have. The best I got was a little bit more than 47, and most was like around the low 46s. I should have been bumping up closer to 50 on that trip, right? 49, 50, 51, somewhere in that range. So that's why I'm going to change the oxygen sensor because I feel that it's got 200. So it's right in the range where I change them, 232,000 miles. And uh, I think it's skewing slightly enriching the mixture off a of stoic you can't do an exact one-to-one prescription saying okay well i think i should have gotten 50 49 and i got 47 and do the percentage it doesn't work that way but uh but i felt that in the past you know, past two long distance trips i felt that my fuel economy was a little bit down all right but i um, mean nothing dramatic a little bit down i should have gotten a mile or two to gallon more so i felt that so i think it is time for me to i'm going to try to get my friend has a really like a six ten well maybe six or seven thousand dollar scanner so i want to try to look at my fuel trim now just for my own knowledge and then put the new o2 sensor in and then take it for a 10 mile ride and let it re- relearn and see what the fuel trim is so so ideally you should have zero fuel trim so but if i don't get a chance to do that i'm gonna put an oxygen sensor just as far as preventive maintenance is concerned and the fact that uh i do believe that uh it is starting to skew and rightfully so so if you get to and i'm going to use a four oxygen sensor i will suggest that to you guys if you heed that advice and you change an oxygen sensor this is the primary o2 sensor not the one after the cat this is the excuse me the fuel control oxygen sensor don't go to the auto parts store and buy one and i don't care if you say well i went to the auto parts store and you know the guy said it was the same one but whatever well first of all number one you'll you'll probably pay just as much at the auto parts store today as you would at the dealership or within spitting distance and you need to have and i'm not saying that the oxygen sensor is calibrated to a fiesta all right so the oxygen sensor does not know what it is going into when it's made the length of the wire and the plug is what's going to determine so this doesn't know whether it's going to an eco boost uh, f-150 or a fiesta or a focus or an explorer or what have you the length of the wire and the connection the plug is going to determine that but anyway is that the the uh, i don't want to use the word transfer table but i'll use that the oe transfer tables are dead nuts on dead nuts on and when you buy an aftermarket when you buy an aftermarket auction even a name brand like a bosch say, well it's bosch well it's not the same bosch that you'd get in the bmw all right you know and i've done shows on that then the thing basically is that so if you so my i got a new brand new bmw it's got a bosch sensor on it. yeah well the oe bosch sensor is not the same as the auto parts store bosch sensor all right so just like generic roundup or generic a generic pesticide or fungicide is really not the same it may have some of the active ingredient or has it so it says yes the active ingredient is this but how did they you know blend the active ingredient with what to get to that to call it glyphosate or call it liberty or something so glufosinate right because liberty is a brand name so make yourself you know just do yourself a favor whatever brand you have when you're going to change the sensors go to the dealership and buy that brand <clears throat> i mean buy the factory stuff believe me it'll be well worth it 
you know, so even if you spend twenty dollars more every two hundred fifty thousand miles, you spend twenty dollars more. Okay, fine, right? That's not going to break the bank. <clears throat> I'm just going to get a drink of uh, orange juice here. Another thing for me to lament over. This should be not the hot rod farm, but a lamenting show. But then we get into the topic about about what the show is today. Forty minutes into it, is that uh, for years. I always drank Florida's natural extra pulp orange juice. Loved it, loved it, loved it. All right, Farmer Own, great company. I mean, great, great, or best orange juice they ever tasted. I loved the, I loved the extra pulp. And then, over the past year or two, I said to myself, "Boy, it doesn't seem to have the same taste." All right, maybe it's me. Maybe you got a bad taste in my mouth, or maybe whatever. I just brush my teeth, and there's tooth, the, the, the taste of the tooth, toothpaste on my tongue. So this is not the same as it used to be. So now I look at the container, and so it's it's Florida Florida's natural supposed to be a co-op, right? And uh, Florida's natural, so it's juice from Florida, and it always used to be a hundred percent Florida juice. And I know about citrus greening, and I know about the losses of the citrus trees. So I'm very cognizant of that. All right. And now it says mixed with global juice. So, and it definitely changed the taste. I mean, I'm still going to buy it and support it because it does, it is, it, and I don't know what the percentage of, so it says, now it says on the container, juice from juice from Florida, Brazil, Mexico, and some other godforsaken place. Well, to me, it's godforsaken. I don't, I, don't, I mean, what happened to California? Doesn't California have, have oranges anymore? So, I don't know. I mean, so we have to go to Mexico and Brazil. And uh, I, I guess so. I mean, I guess the reality of it is that the, uh, they, they, cut down the, the, they, they cut down the groves and they're putting condominiums in Florida. So, that's very, very sad. And, uh, but it, I mean, to, to there, you to their credit, it is on the it is on the on the uh, bottle if you on the, the container if you look, but it definitely does not taste the same. Definitely, and I've noticed that for quite some time. So they must have been uh, mixing this other juice in for at least a couple of years now, and it was my fault for not looking right. So what are you going to do? That is the world today. But anyway, so if you remember a minute or two ago, probably ten minutes ago, more the way I talk. Was that I said that I was? I'm always so. It never ceases to amaze me how great that little Ford pulls the hills and just does nothing wrong, or does nothing wrong. And, uh, and like I said, that's a good test. You're rolling. And when I went on this trip this time, it was. I mean, it was it was it was summertime. I'm not gonna say it terribly. I was around 89, about 90 degrees. All right, about 90 degrees with a high with a high humidity. So it was mu- it was a muggy ninety degrees, which makes you kind of feel a little bit uncomfortable. But that's it's certainly it's certainly uh, not the end of the world, right? I mean, not the, the 
Yeah. People, when you listen to the newscast, oh my God, he's going to go. The, the heat index feels like 90. Like you're on the sun. I mean, I go on, I mean, like all of you, well, most of you, right? You go out in the field and you work. Whatever it is, it is, right? You're not going to go, when my corn comes due, you have to bring a crop and you got to take care of life. So I can say, well, the newsman told me that it's, it's this and that today. You're going to go out and take care of what you have to do. All right? And years ago, we did that. Nobody complained. It was summertime, it was hot. Now it's global warming, this and that, and everything. It's Trump's fault and everything, whatever. So, but the important element of what I want to discuss today is the fact that it was hot and muggy. And that, that also... <clears throat> further impressed me with my car that I have 232,000 miles on, so it's not my first rodeo with it, all right? And why did that impress me, all right? Because a number of things happen to an engine, and I don't care whether it's an engine in my Fiesta, whether it's in your your dually pickup truck, whether it's on your combine, your sprayer, your farm tractor, or your lawnmower, or your weed whacker, it makes no difference, all right, is that weather impacts the performance and how an engine performs. And what I mean by performance is the the chemical to <clears throat> mechanical energy exchange, the combustion process, all right? So it impacts that. And all of us, you know, sometimes, hey, you get in the car, you get in the truck, you get in the tractor, you're in the combine, you're, boy, this thing really feels sweet today. I mean, it's not like it's day and night difference, but just, man, like right on the money, you know, the throttle response, uh, just, you could just, if you're really intuitive, if you're not intuitive, then forget about it, all right, you're not going to know anything, as long as the thing runs and gets you there, you're happy, right? So the thing is that you're going to feel this, and anybody who, anybody who, who's in, who, pays attention to any type of engine for, for anything, not a T Ford, that there's days that they just seem to run sweeter, right? And then, you know, oh, this thing is oh my, right on the money, right? And if you look at it, is that just like people and just like animals and just like plants, right, anything God created, is that is that it gets impacted by the weather. Now, so I said it was hot and it was muggy, all right? Now, I'm going to so keep that in the back of your mind. Now, as you, as you guys know, I'm an old drag racer, drag race engine guy, what have you. And then in drag racing, we have something called, well, we don't have something, that we look at what's called altitude density. So if you talk to a drag racer, oh, it's good air today, it's bad air, it's good air, it is really good today, right? And then what does he mean by it? It's not the smoke coming down from those horrific Canadian wildfires which appear to still be coming on, going on, or at least the haze is coming down here. And so uh, <clears throat> the thing is, that what do you mean by good air and bad air? Well, you have to understand what an engine likes. But the great thing about it is that if you understand how a human being or an animal responds, you can understand how an engine responds because an engine breeds. All right, it doesn't breathe like with lungs or like a plant aspirates and respirates. It doesn't do that, but it's basically the same function. So that when a basic tenant of physics, which is what the way had the good Lord created, man didn't create it. All right, physics is just a name for God's natural creation of how it responds. Is that when air is hot, 
right? That the molecules, the oxygen molecules, because we breathe air, it's, we don't breathe oxygen, it's air, it's oxygen and other gases, nitrogen and other things, all right? Is that they're further apart. So what happens is that it would be just like when I plant my corn, right? I do 20,400 per acre, and they're 11 and a half inches apart and 28 inch rows. So if I have a seed that doesn't germinate, then visually to my eye, there's a big gap, right? Because I got 11 and a half inches, then the next seed is 11 and a half inches away. So there's 22 inches, 23 inches, 22 and a half inches between the one plant and the other. So that looks terrible. That don't look picket fence, right? Where if you have a, a guy who's planting field corn, a silage corn, and a population of 36,000, 42,000, 30, even 32,000, all right? If you're missing, if one doesn't germinate or something, well, you could probably, if you point it out, you could see it, but it's not that glaring. So what happens is that the hotter the air gets, the more that the molecules, so the, I'll say, <clears throat> let's put it this way, it's, and this is the proper way of saying it, it's less oxygen dense. Now, what does an engine need to run? What does a human being need? We need oxygen, right? God forbid you go into the hospital. What do they do? They give you oxygen, right? If you have a problem breathing, right? They give you pure oxygen. So the air is, le- is, that, uh, is less oxygen dense. I probably should have formed that sentence better. Okay, fine. So that's hot air. So that is why every engine is not going to run as well uh, I don't mean that it's bucking or stalling or running rough. It's just not going to feel as sharp, as crisp. Like a person waking up. You, it's, you know, when you get up, you're not that sharp. You're like, oh, you got sleep in your eyes. So the engine's just not there. It's a little bit, I don't want to say lazy, lethargic, like a person could be, right? So like at you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you get that, oh, man, I'm yawning. Right? You need to take a nap. And so the thing is that the so that is because it has less oxygen and it needs the engine needs oxygen oxygen to support the combustion event for the for the flame to ignite and to and expand across the bore okay so that's that excuse me and i'm going to get back to my fiesta pole in the hills so it makes a practical application for it so on a hot day we're just looking at air temperature so if you have a, a 60 degree day versus a 100 degree day then the engine is going to feel a lot better we'll use that term on a 60 degree day because it has the the air is more oxygen dense okay the molecules are closer together more dense now let's add to it and i'm going to give you some numbers so let's add humidity and then we get back to the altitude density so in good air bad air so let's now add humidity so if you put temperature and high humidity which i had going across <clears throat> going out to uh, to my first night in tiffin across pennsylvania is that so the oxygen molecules are further apart and now what it what is what is the good lord putting in because humidity is moisture so now it's putting water molecules, right? Granted, you're not, they're not raindrops yet, but there's water molecules. So the air is now very heavily laden or very laden with moisture. So now we have less oxygen density, and then the air we have has a lot of moisture. And so if you were to look at the barometric pressure of that day, which is the weight of the, of the air, whether it's mixed with, with water or not, 
on the Earth's surface, we'll leave it at that, not make it a science lesson, is that it's going to be a higher barometer. It's a heavier air. So you say, well, that's good, it's heavy air. But the thing basically is, it's heavy air, but it's heavy with water. Now let me ask you something. Does water burn? It doesn't burn. So now we're feeding our animal. You could be out in Missouri, hot, muggy, Louisiana, right? I think you should say Louisiana, right? And you could have your uh, your rogator sprayer, your Fent rogator sprayer there, right? And you're in it, uh, your Hagee with a Cummins and whatever it may be. And it's that hot, muggy day, right? So what's happening is that you're feeding that engine to support its combustion event with air that's less oxygen dense and is heavy with moisture with water so it does not when i say it doesn't burn as well like i said i'm going to repeat it doesn't mean it runs poorly it's that is that the chemical to mechanical energy exchange is not as efficient all right so hold that thought now go back to me telling you and i you know i'm saying this humbly i don't talk to hear myself talk all right the thing basically is that i wanted to lead this up into a segue so now i'm pulling these hills right with the fiesta right and we have hot relatively hot i mean maybe for arizona it's not hot but what do people say oh it's 110 degrees but it's a dry heat right <laughs> it's a dry heat that means that there's no humidity or minimal humidity so now i'm feeding this the the, the good lord is feeding this little ford uh <clears throat> oxygen deficient air laden with water because that's really what it is all right and so now that means what's going to happen is that the engine is not going to make as much power so get back to being a drag racer there's one thing about being a drag racer is that 95 percent of drag racing success is based upon the engine maybe say 90 percent 10 percent is to be able to hook what we mean hook leave the line all right and transfer all that power to the from the tire to the track to move the vehicle but no other motorsport whether it's road racing nascar racing or indy cup racing is as as focused on engine output as drag racing <clears throat> and also because you're not going for 500 miles you're going for 1320 feet or if you run in an eighth mile track you run it for 660 feet so everything becomes magnified all right so if you're if you're a really dialed in drag car and you're off 10 horsepower you're going to know it you're going to see it in a time slip all right you're off 10 horsepower or 20 you're not going to see it on a road race time slip or or even a roundy round car a dirt track nascar whatever you're not going to see it because the distance you're going is too great right and it's not as dependent so the whole thing with drag racing is you got to make a ton of power but you got to be able to hook that power and transfer that power to the pavement to the drag strip that's what it's all about that's why i love drag racing because it's 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 more engine related than any other motorsport now i used to build also some boat engines you got a big boat right i mean these are like those cigarette type of boats are smaller all right i mean the thing weighs so much in the resistance through the the water of the hull i mean you give the guy another 100 horsepower he doesn't even know it that's why they put three and four engines in them because you can't make enough power with one engine to give the guy the performance he wants i mean yeah it's going to move the boat so anyway so now we're feeding so get back to so in drag racing we well we used to be an analog meter and you did the math it was called a altitude density 
all right so what you would basically do is you'd look at the air temperature and then you would look at the amount of humidity in the air and the barometer and you put this all together and there was a there was a calculated there or you did the math and you figure out and what what it was called altitude density and what they basically did it was a conversion factor like horsepower is right it's a conversion from torque it was a mathematical like like uh uh <clears throat> cec is in soil right cation exchange capacity it's a conversion it's a mathematical equation and even though if you were let's say you were at raceway park in new jersey which is now closed for a number of years then you were at sea level which is the best sea level or below right like death valley is the best because you have more pressure pushing on and that's how an engine breeds but there would be an there would be a correction factor and then you would say and you would tune your engine and you would look at everything based upon that so the correction factor would be altitude density so basically is that if you're up in a mountain in montana top of the mountain the air is less dense than it is if you were down in death valley so by looking at this out doing this altitude density and they have stuff on a smartphone you can get an app for it. it it loses a lot because you're just plugging in numbers you're not doing the math and when you look at analog instrumentation and you have to do the math it basically gives you a lot better education and makes you more familiar with it once you're familiar with it then it's like reading a micrometer if you know how to read a analog micrometer then a digital micrometer just well makes so they're just a little bit quicker but the thing is but if you only use the digital micrometer you don't know how to read a micrometer all right or a digital rule you don't want to read a ruler but anyway so the thing is that it says okay so even though we're at raceway park in english town and we're at sea level but the air that we have today <clears throat> is going to trick the engine into think with seven thousand feet up high in a mountain and then we're going to tune the engine accordingly and in that particular instance you would pull fuel out of it while leaning it out lean the carburetor jets out smaller jets because what's happened is there's less oxygen so you always want to have that oxygen to fuel ratio just like base saturation on the soil test okay you want to keep everything in balance so the thing basically is is that so that's why altitude density so if you were to look at the air that i had going out that day, i'm not saying you haven't buy an old altitude density meter and then look at it and say well, i'm going to go harvest corn today right now i'm going to see what my ad is and oh this combine is going to be a little bit soft today the engine because it thinks it's up at five thousand feet all right so i'm not saying that but it's the idea of understanding this concept why an engine is the way an engine the power i should say the power an engine makes is so intrinsically linked to the weather conditions now the other thing all right well we're not running this engine on dyno we're not doing that we're not doing running an irrigation pump with it my little 196 cubic inch ford is trying to push my fiesta through the air all right so now is that if you are a land speed racer bonneville salt flats right other land speed records right other land speed <coughs> events all right you want hot air why do you want hot air for because hot air is less dense so the so the coefficient of drag on hot through hot air is going to be less now mind you i mean on a on a road vehicle excuse me on the farm tractor it's irrelevant you're not going fast enough to can be concerned with aerodynamics but the air is going to be less dense all right so it's going to be easier for the vehicle to push through the air 
but what you really want is hot air with no moisture in it all right so you're willing to and that's why most of those those engines and those like bonnevilles are huge engines because it they they or their turbocharged or supercharged because they're going to force more air in to make up for the heat the oxygen molecules and the, the natural density of that happens to be bonneville at the salt flats the the the, the uh say ambient altitude if that's not really a proper way to say it but the altitude of the track but you don't want hot muggy and not that you're going to have that in the desert but you don't want hot muggy air right but what's going to happen why well, i'm saying to my so saying why well, i was impressed with the fiesta so the engine was being fed low oxygen density air with a lot of water in it all right and then the air itself was was had because the atmosphere was high humidity that means that the resistance going the the coefficient of drag going across the body of the not just my vehicle every vehicle was higher there was more drag because it had to push through that water in the air and it wasn't raining right to push through the water in the air and the thing is that there's like a boat you take a boat and you say well if you uh, if you try to push the hull through the water yes it has a lot of buoyancy but it's not easy to push through the water all right there's more resistance through the water that's why a boat wants to, the whole theory is to get a boat up on plane so you're taking you just have a little bit of that hull to stabilize it and she's out of she's out of the water yeah it's pushing more air but the air has less resistance than the water all right so you put that all together and you say, well, you know, uh, <clears throat> that's so given those conditions, getting back to my oxygen sensor, I felt I should have got eh, 48, 49, 50 if it was different conditions, all right, different, not so humidity, not that high humidity, all right, then the thing basically is eh, maybe we've got 51, all right, 52. So the thing miles per gallon that is. So anyway, so that comes in. Now let's apply some math to it, all right? Now you could do nothing about this, and that is why a turbocharged engine is actually less sensitive to the amount the the altitude all right it's sensitive to it because it still has to fill the cylinders it just it still has to fill the turbocharger to fill the cylinder so it's going to be affected by it but it is less sensitive it mitigates some of that whereas a naturally aspirated engine does not mitigate that whatever the pressure differentials with the amount of oxygen the amount of humidity is all going to affect the amount of power the engine makes so now <clears throat> the thing basically is that there's no real equation that i could give you for the amount of humidity in the air all right uh, and how it's going to impact power so um, let me put it this way there's correction factors but that's not for what, what this show was about but but i can give you temperatures all right so the thing basically is is that so the rule of not the rule of thumb it's this is factual is that for every 10 degrees fahrenheit all right so i'm sorry for the listeners in canada and around the world every 10 degrees fahrenheit that the air temperature increases that you will lose one percent power a minimum of one percent if you have the calibration too rich you may lose three or four percent so every and every so conversely every 10 degrees fahrenheit that the air gets colder you will increase power by one percent all right 
So, so let's so we'll use the one percent. So it's ten to one, ten degrees F, one percent change. So, in essence, if you take your if you take an engine out, take an engine out, whatever you're working an engine. That's probably a better way to say farm tractor, combine, pickup truck, car, SUV, lawnmower, right? And it's a hundred degrees out. All right. And then you last time you ran it, it was it was 40 degrees out. So now for easy numbers, right? That's what 60 degrees differential. Because the last time I ran well, the last time I ran this thing, it was it felt it felt better. Right? And the thing is, then it was it was 40 degrees out. Now it's a hundred degrees out. So that engine, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing, it's perfect, it's beautiful, idles beautifully. We'll make using the 40 degrees versus the 100 degrees will will make 6% less power. And conversely, if you said, well, I always ran this thing, you know, in the summertime, it was 100 degrees, and now I have to, whatever, it's a lawnmower, I got I to gotta, uh, uh, mulch up some leaves, it's 40 degrees, oh, man, this thing goes in, that really feels, I mean, that really you know, sounds stronger, sounds better, I put it into that pile, it really, well, yes, because it's making 6% more power. That's what a ball, that's what, and so now, so now we, so just like if you were to look at, your, all right, you're harvesting corn, you're harvesting crop, 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 and that's crap, crop, forgive me, all right, the thing basically is, is that, hopefully you don't have a crappy crop, <laughs> but anyway, uh, the thing is that, uh, you know, you have the moisture, right, so if, if you're, if you're looking at, your, if you, if you, if you're telling your, uh, your, uh, your your monitor what they call it in the, in the combine right uh the harvest monitor i think they like i don't know it bring a brain fade right now and you're telling that you have 25 percent moisture corn all right yeah or, or let me put it this way if you say you got so many bushels per acre and you're not telling it's 25 percent moisture corn and it thinks it's 15 percent moisture well you're going to look like a real hero because now you got 600 bushels per acre instead of 300 all right i'm making obviously it's not that much of a difference so the same thing happens happens with an engine is that the temperature so now you say well how do you get around this what's the standard right well the society of automotive engineers has different standards and that is for dynamometer testing so the so the 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 car when i say the car manufacturers the engine manufacturing industry whether it's ford with my fiesta or or case ih or agco or john deere or whatever all right they have there's different sae standards so they'll say and lots of times you'll see it printed 350 horsepower sae j blah 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 all right whatever numbers and what that standard is that they corrected all right they corrected mathematically to a certain temperature, barometric pressure, and a humidity, like a drag racer, right? Altitude density calculator. We called it altitude density, but that they call that a correction factor. So when you so my Fiesta, using that as an example, is rated at 125 horsepower. So that's actually pretty good if you look at it that way, right? That's 96 cubic inches. It's got more than one one and a quarter horsepower per cubic inch. got That's actually a high performance engine. I believe it was 400 horsepower, like a 600 horsepower, 400 cubic inch engine. But anyway, so the thing is that, so the car manufacturers use, use a standard that actually is not 
is is very conservative conservative as far as not a good barometer not a good level of humidity and hot air all right so if you were to take my same engine 125 horsepower and you were to mathematically correct it just like we did a drag racing altitude density we weren't doing that for horsepower we were doing that for fuel curve all right because there was less oxygen here and you were to take that and correct it then my fiesta if you said well it's now no no we're going to make it much better probably has 135 or 140 horsepower given better air all right so the thing basically is so that's what good air bad air is so the fact of the matter is is that that you're going to as i start to wrap this up it's not your imagination you're not feeling things that on a hot muggy day and now if you add high altitude to it right like you're in uh in western nebraska well it's not that high altitude. well you know because you're not on a mountain doesn't mean you're not high altitude all right so you go across montana across something all right the the thing is that if you have so if you add altitude to it and you have hot muggy air then that engine is going to be dramatically down on power there is nothing wrong with it all right nothing at all wrong with it and if you take that same engine and now you give it a different atmospheric condition it is going to be dramatically more powerful and what is it it is one percent power for every 10 degrees fahrenheit but you have to realize that that equation is based upon the temperature all right because you're not going to change the humidity, all right, or the barometric pressure. That's going to be, it's the temperature of the air going into the cylinder. All right, so now you could have a 90 degree, 80 degree day outside, but if the way the, like I saw uh, a, uh, somebody sent me a picture, this, it was a Dodge Charger, 68 Charger. The car was gorgeous by a $400,000 resto, what they call resto mod, and it had a Viper engine in it, all right, and the guy whoever built the car it was a beautiful workmanship but he made these right the old viper engines had two throttle bodies and he made these like almost like ram horns coming around and he had a beautiful welding i mean i mean beautiful fabrication no denying it gorgeous right i could never do it right and he had k and open element air filters and they were sitting right over the headers i mean that's i said he should have made these over here going towards front away from the heat to the to the to the uh to, to by the headlights towards the headlights why are you putting them right over the fender oh look like a ram horn well, look like a ram horn well, well that's wonderful it looks beautiful but that's so so that engine even on a cold day with the hood closed i mean not that he would drive that it's a show car but he's pulling the heat right off the exhaust manifold well it's a header right off the header so Put your hand by the header and see how much hotter it is than the air coming by the headlight. Well, I guarantee you that once that underhood gets hot on that 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 show car charger, that that engine is down ninety to a hundred horsepower because where he put the air filter. All right, so so you have to remember what I'm saying. It's one percent for every ten degrees. Don't just think the yeah, the ambient temperature, the outside temperature that your body feels is only the starting point. The air is not going to get cooler underneath the hood. All right, so even on a so if you were to take that charger, like I said, use that as an example because it's so dramatic, and it was 
zero degrees outside that engine is going to feel better than it does on a hot summer day not going to deny it but it's still breathing hot air off that header so maybe it's breathing 120 degree air where on a hot summer day it's breathing 300 degree air all right so the thing is that you have to you have to recognize that and that is one of the reasons why that so many new engines use a plastic what people call plastic it's actually a, a, a nylon type of material intake manifold and they use it for three reasons number one has a lot less thermal transfer that nylon slash plastic has less thermal transfer from the underhood heat into the incoming charge so if you duck if they by design duck the air i just hit everything duck the air filter where it could breathe cooler air remember the old ram air ram air systems hood scoops what have you right the thing basically is is that if you could breathe cooler air and then have it's going to get hot under the hood because it's combustion but you could kind of insulate that charge from getting hot getting so much thermal transfer from underneath the hood and the plastic does that it has a lot it's it's a lot lot less thermal transfer than an aluminum manifold or some any type of manifold any type of manifold then that that rule is going to come into play it's it's not going to alter plus the other two reasons why they make the plastic into i'm using the, the vernacular plastic intake manifold is that is that it is smoother inside you could a plastic is smooth as smooth as silk inside beautiful right all right there's no casting flash there's no bumps there's no grain the grain there so there's less frictional flow loss for the air coming in and the third thing is it's lighter so we're taking mass it's not cheaper people are to make it out of plastic trying to save money actually it's a heck of a lot more expensive to make a plastic intake manifold when all is said and done than it is to make a cast aluminum one right so well like years ago they used to have cast iron and if you had a cast iron manifold that's like an old tractor engine or an old inline uh slant six or ford or chevy right 250 cubic inch chevy right that was not a cross flow cylinder head so the intake manifold was there in the exhaust man so the intake port and the exhaust port were on the same side of the cylinder head and the exhaust manifold was below the intake manifold where does heat go heat rises right so the heat rises right up into that intake manifold so even on a 40 degree day you had substantially hotter charge air over the ambient temperature because you had that heat from the exhaust manifold rise up right into that into that intake manifold it was a non-cross flow cylinder and repeat a cross flow cylinder head is a is a cylinder head that has the intake manifold on one side and the exhaust manifold on the other all right so you don't have that heat transfer all right sort of thing but but essence as i come to close now because i went long telling you too much stories about my road trip and about the pti farm the take-home message here is for you to recognize and understand that an engine like an animal like a person like a plant is going to be impacted by the weather it's going to be impacted by the amount of oxygen and that's going to be in whether it's oxygen deficient or oxygen dense all right so it's every 10 degrees fahrenheit of the air going into the cylinder head all right but the ambient air the outside air is the starting point all right is going to be one 
per, is going to be one percent power for every 10 degrees fahrenheit that that's altered as the air gets colder coming in it's going to be one percent more power right whatever your control is right and then control meaning whatever your standards you're you're, you're referencing against and if it gets hotter, it's going to be one percent less right the more humidity that is in the air all right then it is going to be uh it's going to be displacing the oxygen and it is going to put water molecules right in there so you need to recognize that and then it's all going to come to play and the other thing which i didn't even bring up about my fiesta which is i mean i'm just using that as an example is that i was running with the air conditioner right of course but if you look at the ac pressure the high side pressure all right not the low side the high side pressure all right on a hot muggy day which is a high thermal load that the high side pressure is going to be elevated so if the high side pressure is going to be elevated that means it's harder for the ac the air conditioner compressor to pump that refrigerant through which means it's going to take more power so you put this all together and now as paul harvey used to say you have the rest of the story you can you do anything about it zero nothing all right nothing just like I, I, if, if you don't have irrigation and you can't make it rain right so the thing basically is is that but it gives you an understanding and it gives you a respect for how things work and how you could understand why you're pulling a load of grain to the to the elevator right and it's a hot muggy day right and and you, you're trying to you're pulling that hill and you, you got your kenworth with your cummins in a while you got to pull down uh, you know so I, I only got so many bushes in there why i have to pull down another gear well that's why so it's basically and today's show is more about understanding because if you understand something you become in harmony with it it doesn't mean that you could change it but you become in harmony with it you understand it and if you understand it it all makes sense in the world makes sense and it's nice not to look at something oh i don't know what the heck is going on or what's happening why this thing feels piggy today and yesterday it felt great all right because of those dynamics with the weather so as i, I want to thank you so much for listening please if you have the opportunity do yourself a favor check out that pti test farm for precision planting in pontiac illinois stay if you have to stay overnight stay at the hampton Inn right next door i walked there for the event I left my car i walked it that's how close it is beautiful beautiful area and i want i wish you all the best and just know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher so have a blessed, blessed day, and God willing, I'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.